Hey there, welcome to Night School, first mobile episode of the new year. First mobile episode. And I'd like to start these out with a little weather report, and today we're having a little mix of rain and snow. I think we're expecting a lot more snow next week. A lot is relative, of course, to this region. But today it's just a little bit of a mix, but not much. And in other weather news, I stepped in dog shit about two minutes ago. I feel like that qualifies as a weather report, stepping in dog shit. It's certainly an environmental situation. So I think I can include it in the weather report category. Unfortunately, I'm walking at a park that has a lot of water, a lot of streams. We've had a lot of rain, so there are puddles. So I was able to run my foot through the stream a little bit, which feels like it should be just a phrase. Running your foot through the stream. And you know, it's funny, because normally when you're walking a trail, you avoid the puddles. But after you step in dog shit, even after you've run your foot through the stream, uh, you step in every puddle after that. Whereas normally you avoid the puddles, you enter this alternate reality after you stepped in dog shit where you walk through every puddle. Just on the off chance there's still some on your shoe that needs to be cleared off. So this is a, a good puddle walking episode. I hope you hear lots of splashes underfoot. Yeah, I did an episode this morning and this has nothing to do with that one. Nothing to do. But something I was thinking about is, as I've gone through this whole experience, you know, you see someone pass away, and you naturally think about your own death as well. And one aspect of that that has come out of this almost instantly, and I may have mentioned it before, but it was a certain fearlessness, where I'm no longer worried about surviving for my mom's sake. I'm no longer concerned with the idea of dying because I would hate for that woman to lose a child. And fortunately, I'm at a phase in my life where I don't take any risks I don't need to take. You know, I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I'm not doing anything. I'm not, you know, just because there's a certain fearlessness that has already come out of this, and has been there throughout all this, you know. It was there right away, you know, a couple days after she passed, and it's still there. Uh, you know, there's just a, a lessening of fear for someone else's sake. You know, any fear I have is for my own sake, which is an entirely different deal. And speaking of deals, I really feel like I got the better deal in all this. When you think about other possibilities, you know, which is that, you know, my mom could have lost me. And I think that would have been a far worse deal. I think that's the worst deal that can be made when it comes to, you know, a parent and child and their respective mortality. So the fact that I lost her is just part of the natural inevitable process and I'm not going to say that someone who loses a child, I'm not going to say that's unnatural, but it's not what's supposed to happen. It's not something somebody mentally prepares for, whereas the situation I'm in is something that you do prepare for. 
even if you avoid it, there's a part of you that is avoiding it because you know it's the most likely outcome and you know it is most likely unavoidable. And you should embrace that if you can and say, I got the better deal. It may be painful, but I'm designed more to endure this. And there's a reason why every Disney movie, every cartoon, The Land Before Time, the non-Disney Disney movie, there's a reason why Bambi, all these stories often start, one of the main plot arcs is the loss of a parent, or in particular, the mother. There's a reason why that is used. It's not just a plot device used to get kids emotional. Because obviously it's something that their target audience can relate to. A fear that their target audience can relate to. Kids see Bambi's mom die. Or whatever the character's name is in the land before time. They see the mother die and they're like, oh my god. I don't want that to happen to me. You know, it's something that kids can immediately and easily relate to. But it's not just yanking at kids' emotional chains, you know, it's not just, it's not cheap. And I mean, The Lion King too, of course, his dad dying is, you know, a major part of the story. But in all these stories, the parent dies, and that, that's the event that leads to a transformation. It leads to an adventure, which is a transformation. You know, there's no real distinction between adventure and transformation in these cartoon stories. Uh, the character steps in dog shit, has to run their foot through the, <laughs> through the stream. No, but there's a reason why that's used, and it's because it is such a transformational experience. And, uh, but I, I do feel like I got the better end of the deal, I, you know, because there is a transformation there. When your parent dies there is a transformation that happens. And I think if a parent loses their child, it's obviously transformative, but it's much different. And I would have no idea what to say about that, so I won't say anything. I've known people who have lost children, but I, I'm not qualified to say what that feels like or what you can potentially get out of that. You know, if someone were to come to me and say they lost their parent, I would, even now I would be like, you know, I'm still new into this experience, but I can tell you that there's a silver lining. Whether you loved them to death, truly loved them to death, hated them, had a mixed relationship, there's going to be a silver lining. There's going to be something transformational that I think is immediately accessible. There's going to be something good in all of the grief that is as immediately as immediately accessible as all of the sad stuff. I would tell someone that who just lost a parent. However, I would have no idea what to say to somebody who lost a child. And I think that itself proves that I got the better deal in all of this. I, I can't even, I can think about a lot. I think about a lot of things. I entertain a lot of possibilities. I don't even want to entertain the thought of my mom having gone on in her life dealing with the loss of a child. So that alone should tell you that I got the better deal. But it is strange to feel this, you know, I, I feel a little more fearless. And not to say I was a scaredy cat, not to say I was a scared person, but there was always a part of me that was tethered to survival through just the sheer love of my mother. 
and not wanting to upset her. And even when I was more self-destructive, more unhealthy, I think what kept me through that, you know, what kept me from going too far over the cliff was very much in the back of my head, at the front of my heart, the top of my heart, whatever direct, it doesn't matter what direction <laughs> it is, uh, you know, there was always this aspect that was kind of tethered to the f to survival for my mom's sake, not wanting to break her heart. And now that she's gone, you know, there, that is no longer here in the same way. It's not gone entirely uh, in the same way that she's not gone entirely. Because fortunately, I'm not in a place where I, I want to take risks. Fortunately, I'm not in a, a negative state where that fearlessness translates to self-destruction or, God forbid, suicide. And suicide's an interesting thing for me because I've always known that that's an option and I've never hid from that fact. And I've gone through periods in my life where I thought about it more. I'm not going to say I was, you know, suicidal because it's kind of like talking about anything that's self-destructive where somebody's always more self-destructive than you, somebody's always got it worse. If you quit drinking, you'll always find somebody who had a worse drinking problem and your your problem doesn't seem as bad. And I feel like the same is true of suicide where you're always going to find someone who's more self-destructive than you. And some people do wear that with a, a, a badge of strange honor. And for me, it's like, you know, I never planned at any point to kill myself or treated it like a realistic option for me. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that there were times where that option seemed a little more available than at other times. And, and where I entertained ideas like, oh, you know, in six months, if, you know, I'm, I'm still broke, or if in six months, you know, this feeling of heartbreak isn't better, maybe I'll have to consider other options, including that option. Basically, if ABC still feels like XYZ in six months, I'm going to have to confront that issue. That's kind of where I have come from with it, and it's been a long time since my mind has been there. Uh, but, it, you know, for me, it always, seemed, it always seemed better to entertain the idea, philosophically, if nothing else, of suicide than to deny it entirely. Because you don't want that shit to, like, creep in and start clawing at the inside of your skull unexpectedly. Because I think that's where you really have to worry about that option becoming real, is when you've pushed it away and suddenly shit takes a turn for the worse and that's suddenly a new thing for you. A new, a brand new option that you didn't think was available. So instead entertaining the idea... Just thinking about it, you know, it makes it uh, more manageable. But, I, you know, in, in being in the current situation I'm in, you know, if you already had those impulses, if you were already engaged in risky behavior, it would be really bad to lose the, the person who kept you tethered to survival 
or kept you grounded in some way. So I'm very fortunate that even though there is this fearlessness, is the best way I would put it, even though I do have this added, this new fearlessness, uh, and I'm less afraid of death, you know, I think that would be another way to put it too. It's not something where I'm knocking on the door. I'm not, when I say that, I'm certainly not inviting it. And instead, I feel just a, 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 sen a large sense of opportunity. And with that, though, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about risk a little bit and risky behavior. And I say I'm not engaged in risky behavior, and we have certain things that come to mind, you know, whether it's partying too hard whether it's the sort of social circles you run in, it could be any kind of behavior. Uh, could be, you know, something very dangerous. It could be, you know, climbing uh, mountains without a harness. I don't know, whatever it is. We, we all have a pretty good understanding of what's risky, what's obviously risky in this life. But one thing that I never hear people really address specifically that it, I consider one of the riskiest behaviors is having a chip on your shoulder. <laughs> and that sounds like some sort of like uh, silly like dad advice or something, you know, like the worst thing you could take out into the world with you, the most dangerous thing you could do, the riskiest behavior is to go out in the world with a chip on your shoulder. You know, it sounds hollow, but l let me break it down. And... When you go out with, into the world with a chip on your shoulder, it's really an open invitation. And I used to go out in the world a lot more often with a chip on my shoulder, and I'm not going to pretend I don't have a chip. I ain't going to pretend I don't have a chip on my shoulder. It's still there. But I used to go out into the world with a chip on my shoulder like it was a suit of armor. It used to be something that I thought I needed and that I thought gave me power, and even if I wasn't looking for a fight, you know, because I ultimately, you know, I'm not a pacifist. I do not consider myself a pacifist. But that said, like, how many fights do you think I've been in in my life, in my adult life? Not counting, like, little, like, kid squabbles, pushing and shoving and wrestling, getting out of hand. You know, how many actual fights do you think I've been in in my adult life? Zero. Yet, I don't consider myself a pacifist, and that's why you have to dismiss all terminology. That's why you have to dismiss all the, the roles we assign ourselves. It's much like the example I use of the feminist who turns out to be abusive or, or a, you know, a sex offender. And people act shocked. They're like, oh, you know, my friend, he, was, he went to all the rallies. You know, he went to the women's march. And it turns out he was, like, beating his girlfriend. It turns out that he was, like, sexually abusing women. I'm so shocked. He said he was a feminist. You know, you hear that story a lot, especially in a liberal town. And it's the same thing with this, where it's like, I don't call myself a pacifist, but... And I, and I wouldn't want you to call me one. But I've been in zero fights, man. <laughs> And not because I've run away from them, you know, I gotta, I gotta hold on to some sort of, uh, you know, macho integrity here and say that I've never run away from a fight, and I've been in confrontations that could have easily become fights, 
Because like I said, I, I walked around with a chip on my shoulder. And when you do that, you invite other people with chips on their shoulders who might not even know they have one. They might be real damaged people. They might not even know they have a chip. Because all they know, they are a chip. There's people out there who they are a giant chip. And you might be some dude who goes out in the world and is like, metaphorically, I have a small chip on my shoulder that I think of as a suit of armor. And I'm not really a pacifist, but I don't fight. You know, that's me. <laughs> and then you have a guy who's a walking chip. He's a block. He's a block. And you run into that guy and that little chip, that little defensive chip that you have on your shoulder interacts with that guy. And next thing you know, you're knocked out cold and your head hits the concrete and you have brain damage or you're dead. You know, there's so many situations where that happens so quickly. If you've ever seen a situation escalate, it's, it's just amazing how quickly it happens. It's not dramatic. It's not slow motion. It, it happens so quickly, and, and that's what's so shocking. And, and uh, if you have a chip on your shoulder, you know, you, you invite that situation. And I talked in a recent episode about, you know, how I used to get really mad when people didn't use their turn signals. And over time, I had to kind of reel that in. And another thing I had to stop doing, and this, this happened many years ago, simply for my own safety, was I stopped giving people the middle finger in traffic. Because I was in a couple situations where I did that, and I immediately regretted it. Because the other person who was in the wrong, obviously. Obviously, I was in the right. I'm a pacifist. <laughs> How could I be in the wrong? Um, but I was, you know... I was in traffic and I gave a couple, pe couple people the middle finger. One time I had a girlfriend who gave somebody the finger and it like really escalated this road rage incident. And so I stopped doing it then because I was like, oh, this is an invitation. And what is a better illustration of a chip on your shoulder than feeling the need to give somebody the middle finger? It doesn't matter if you're doing it in response to something fucked up they did that they somehow instigated, if you are giving someone the middle finger at all in a public situation, and when we're in traffic, we don't even think we're in public because we're in our own cars, which are some people's homes, but we feel like we're in this protected space. I mean, speaking of armor, when we're in a car, we're in this you know rolling suit of armor and it has all of our stuff in it and we think of it as this extension of us and we feel protected. You know, in the same way that people like will pick their nose or sing to themselves or do things that they would never do if they were like at the mall. I mean, some people do that at the mall, but a lot of people wouldn't. Whereas the people will sit there at a stoplight and do things they would never do publicly. And they, cause it's because they don't think they're in public when they're in their car, but they are. And anytime that you give someone the middle finger in public, you got a chip on your shoulder. Anytime you give someone the middle finger, period, you do. You know, unless it's just joking with friends. Uh, but, you know, anytime you're given the middle finger, and so that's a great example where it's like you're escalating a situation and you might not be violent. You might not do anything. You might not be someone who's going to start a fight over, you know, a turn signal. Although if there was one thing that I would have fought over when I did have, when I was more proud of the chip on my shoulder, it would have been a turn signal. But, you know, still, you might not be the kind of person who's going to get in a fight 
over that kind of thing. But just showing that middle finger or honking your horn, I mean, I, you should be able to honk your horn. I feel like that's one right we all have. Uh, <laughs> you know, if someone does something wrong in traffic, the horn is the, they created these things for that reason. But still, you should be careful how and when you use your horn. But still, it's like you don't know like how your response to someone else's behavior is going to instigate a situation. And because of that, you should do your best to not bring a chip with you. You should not bring that chip with you, if at all possible. Or if it's there, know it's there. Keep it small. Keep that chip small. Run your feet through the stream and keep that chip small. Those are the catchphrases today. But keep that chip small. You know? Uh, you might not be able to get rid of it. You might be like me where you know it's there. You know that there's a chip there. You know the roots are there. But you want to maintain control over it. And you don't want to instigate. And having a chip on your shoulder is very risky behavior for everything I based on everything I just said. Because you might just be thinking defensively. You might not be offensive about the chip you got. But at the same time, it doesn't really make a difference because whether you're on the offensive or the defensive, you're still participating in the same relationship. And it's just like sports or anything else where it's like the offense and the defense being on the field at the same time is what makes the game. And when you have two people with chips on their shoulders, it doesn't really matter which one is the offense or the defense and they'll probably take turns. But the main point is they're playing the same game and it's an incredibly risky one. And it's one of the reasons there is so much violence. Most violence isn't planned out, or if it is, it's poorly planned, and it's usually in response to some other situation that happened that probably involved people with chips on their shoulders. Potato chips. Make sure that chip on your shoulder, uh, it's just, make sure it's just a potato chip. Make sure it's a Dorita. Make sure it's a Dorita. And if you correct me and tell me it's pronounced Dorito, I'll tell you to go fuck yourself. And then we gotta fight. Then we gotta fight. You gonna tell me how, how to pronounce this chip? Hey, it's my chip, it's on my shoulder. If I wanna call it a Dorita, you're gonna have to look at this middle finger. Uh, but yeah, no, for, for all those reasons, you know, one of the riskiest things is having a chip on your shoulder. And it, it causes other people to have issues. I mean, it's funny that this makes me think of this. There was this book called Sam the Plumber. And all the book was was transcripts from a recording device that was placed in a mafia boss's office in the 1960s. It was real conversations. And it wasn't the sort of, you know, Sopranos talk. It wasn't a lot of swearing. This is before the, the modern idea of the gangster became a big thing. It was just kind of, you know, slightly rough, you know, Italian hoodlums talking, gossiping about their own, the world of the mafia. And I love that. As someone who, who's very into studying that subject, it's a great book because all it is is their conversations and just a little editing for context. But there was a part where one guy was talking about how he met up with some other guys 
and they, those other guys had been followed by the police. And he said, like, he was like, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, you, you, you came here and look who you brought. You brought the cops with you. And the guys who met up with him were like, well, you know, that doesn't matter. Like, we, we're not doing anything illegal right now, so who cares if they followed us? And the guy telling the story was like, so I said to him, like, you don't know what I'm doing. Like, you may not be doing anything, and you might not care that the cops followed you, but you came and you met up with me, and you don't know what I'm doing. And I thought that was a pretty poignant <laughs> story he told, because it's like, you don't know what the other person is doing. And that's sort of the reverse of what I'm talking about with the chip on your shoulder, because, like, I used to go out in the world, and I used to think, like, I'm going out in the world with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, and it doesn't matter because I know my own boundaries. I know that I'm not going to start any fights. I know that I'm not going to let things escalate. I know that I'm not that aggressive. I might have a bad attitude, but I'm not that aggressive about it. But how do I know what the other guy is thinking? How do I know what the other person is thinking? And you don't. You know, you don't. And that's why it's so risky is because you're, you're leaving open the possibility that the people you're dealing with, I mean, you're, you're basically giving people a huge benefit of the doubt unintentionally because it's like, oh, I know my own boundaries and I know my own limitations. And I would ask, do you? But let's assume you do. Let's assume that you do have a lot of restraint and that you're not going to start a fight. You're not going to do anything that you will regret forever or even for the next two months. Because if you regret something for two months, even that's a bad fucking situation, you know? Anything you do that... It's one thing to regret something instantly, and it, we, we all inevitably feel that way. But even if you're going to regret something for a month, like carrying that with you for a month sucks. Uh, so it's like, even if you do know your own boundaries, though, let's say you do, it's like you truly don't know what other people are doing. You don't know what they're capable of. And more importantly, they may not know. Like I said, they might be a giant walking chip. You know, they might be a tiny little human on the shoulder of a giant chip. There might not even be a chip on their shoulder. They might be a tiny little person on a giant chip and they don't even know it. And that's what's scary is a lot of people don't really know it. They don't really know themselves. They don't spend time thinking about how they're not a pacifist, but since they've never been in a fight, they kind of technically are, but they don't want to be called an ist or subscribe to any ism. They don't spend time thinking about that. They don't spend time doing podcasts about that. <laughs> you know, they don't even know that they're a tiny little person sitting on the shoulder of a giant chip. Even though that chip is there all the time, they don't know it. So that's why it's a, a risky thing, you know. Uh, that's, that's why it's risky to go out in the world with a bad attitude. Because that's all it is. That's all that a chip on your shoulder is, is. It's a bad attitude. And it's getting more rainy, so I'll probably close this out. But yeah, this all stemmed from me thinking about... Uh, this all stemmed from me walking into a dog shit. No, it all stemmed from me thinking about how one of the byproducts of losing my mom has made me realize that I'm no longer fearing... I'm no longer scared of, my, of what might happen to me because of her. 
but yet a part of me still is, you know, like I'll close this out by like going back to the topic of suicide where one reason why I would never want to kill myself is because of my mom, even though she's now dead. The idea of whatever I believe in, whatever form I believe she is now in, wherever I believe she is or isn't or any of that, it's interesting that the reason why I would never want to kill myself moving forward is because of her, even though she has passed on. I would, I would have failed her. I would, I would fail her if I were to do something like that. In the same way that I would fail her if I took up some kind of risky behavior. So it's an interesting sort of dynamic where there's this new sense of fearlessness and there's this new sense of surviving for my own sake. And for, I mean, and for the people who love me and who I love. It's not like they're not a big part of this. But, you know, my mother's love was so powerful that she was obviously a huge factor in, in everything I'm discussing here. But it's interesting that I would never want to pick up excessively risky behavior. I would never want to go to the extreme of something like suicide or anything, anything even self-destructive at all. Because of her, yet she has passed on. Meanwhile, I do feel this, this new fearlessness. So it's an interesting dynamic. And it's been on my mind a lot, actually. Because there is a lot of power in that. There is a lot of power in to know that you're truly living for yourself, but yet you still are living for that person who has passed. And even though they're no longer in this material form and you're no longer worried about breaking their heart or making them cry, there's something much larger to their there's something much larger about that person now that you still don't want to dishonor or you, you know, you still, you feel like they would still know. You feel like they do still know. So that's an interesting part of it. You still feel like they might be watching you and you don't want to disappoint them in that way. And that's, you know, it's factored in, too, to things like substance abuse, where it's of no interest to me right now. And I'm not going to set myself up for failure by saying I don't have to stay sharp, that I don't have to keep myself disciplined. But things like that, to me, haven't been worrisome so far in all of this, I think, because I still, I still have a certain image of that person that I would like to live up to. Meanwhile, there is this added new survival for my own sake and for the people who are still left. Just some interesting things that have come from this. Nothing really more than that. But just remember that keeping a chip on your shoulder is a risky behavior. It'll lead to everything you don't want. Just take it from me. Take it from me. <laughs> A pacifist. This land is mine. 
God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children Yeah. Hey.